Amen. What a, what a beautiful psalm, isn't it? Amen. You know, the, the psalmist David, he, he speaks of such precious things. He leads me beside still waters, you know, not turbulent waters, but still waters. Speaks of peace and comfort. And I pray that the Lord leads us into those still waters today as we open up his word and study his word. He talks about restoring our soul. You know, have you ever asked the Lord in a very troubling time in your life, Lord, just restore the soul? Amen. And maybe some of you are there even this morning. Just cry out to him. He hears you. He hears you. He hears your cries. Psalmist goes on and he talks about preparing a table before him. And he's prepared a table before us today too. And I pray that we would feed on his precious and beautiful word he talks about goodness and mercy. Talk about, you know, someone following you. Goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. And then the great promise, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever. Because he has made a way for us. So, Father, we thank you that, that we can come to you now. And thank you for the, the Psalms. Thank you for the word of God. We thank you that we can sing them, Lord, that we can ask you to write them upon the tablets of our heart. And this is what we need. We need your word, Father, and we need Jesus, the word made flesh that dwells among us. Help us today to behold your glory, to behold you, to trust in you, to come clean and before you, Lord, and allow you whatever needs to be done in these hearts, Lord, may you do it. Accomplish it, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, family. So glad you made it today. I, when, when I drove here this morning, it was sunny out and beautiful. I said, like, yeah, this is great. So it's you guys that brought the snow. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Always a delight to spend time with you. Family, we're continuing on in the book of Acts chapter 20. And I know we've been kind of whittling away at this, uh, this chapter. In fact, verse 24 we spent three, three weeks on, but there is a lot there. Uh, today we're going to move on a little bit, uh, verses 25 through 28. The title of today's message is Feed and Be Fed. Now, the last couple of messages, we've, we've camped out in verse 24. And remember, Paul the Apostle was sharing this sermon, and it's a sermon that he wrote to the elders in the church at Ephesus. Paul's departure was imminent, and he was handing the responsibility of the oversight of the church to these elders. And in this verse, he gave us some very valuable, very valuable insight to his ministry and this ministry. And Paul, as you know, as we've read and we've studied and looked at his life too, we realize that he had an incredible, valuable insight in the ministry and an incredible determination of the Holy Spirit in him, and that was to share the Word of God, to teach the Word of God. And Paul, as we know, he made, he made a choice not based on emotion, but with intent, and that's the greatest thing we can do is make decisions based on intent, not emotion. But he made a choice, and the choice that he made was that he would not be moved by his circumstances. He said, none of these things move me. Remember, and we talked about how he had been warned that bonds and afflictions awaited him in several cities that he would go to. He says, listen, those things aren't going to knock me off track. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do, and what a heart that is. He also had the mindset. He said, my, my life is not dear to myself which means that he lived a life devoted to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at that, you know, what or who do you live for? And in verse 25, Paul says this. He says, and now, behold, I, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, he said, you shall see my face no more. Kind of sad. You imagine being the elders that were so, he spent three years with them. And they had this wonderful connection in Christ, this fellowship, this sweetness, this love for one another. And the love Paul had for them, and he said, you shall see my face no more. 
Clearly, he had a word of knowledge from God about that. He didn't say, you probably won't see my face anymore. He was very emphatic. He said, you shall not see my face anymore. So clearly, God spoke to Paul and provided direction and assurance. And he wasn't trying to be dramatic or emotional. He was being honest. And he shared with them what God had shared with him. And what a wonderful thing that is, you know, to share the things that God gives us rather than base our conversation on my emotion or any other part of me, but to hear from God and to be able to utter and bring forth what God has shared with him to these elders, so important. And I believe what, Paul, as Paul shared this word, that they would no longer see his face anymore, he was trying to give them some assurance that they would no longer be able to depend upon him, but rather, as he had ministered to them, and I, I'm going to use this term, he groomed them for the ministry. He wanted them to depend upon the Lord. And we need to depend upon the Lord. And I remember, you know, early in our Christian walk, there was a dear couple that matured in the Lord. They embraced us and helped us in our walk. They encouraged us. They, they shared the word of God with us. We were strengthened by them. And we're forever grateful to that couple. But there came a time when God made it very, very clear that we had to depend totally on him. And that's the right thing to do. Not that we were abandoned by them. They continued to love us and communicate with us, but the relationship had changed. Because so often we would get on the phone and Here's the deal. Here's what's going on. Can you help? Sure, we're there to help you in any way. We'll pray for you. We'll encourage you. But then it was like, okay, now your first call ought to be to God, as it must be for us as well. So Paul, by saying, you shall not see my face anymore, he's saying from now on, you need to rely upon the Lord. In Acts 17, 28, it said, for in him... In the Lord Jesus Christ, we live and we move and we have our being. In him, singular, he didn't say in him and others. No, in him, not any other. In him we live. He is the source of our life. He's the source of our existence. And our life comes from him, which means that we have a dependence upon him to hold our life, right? Our time is in his hands, and so often we, we make presumptions thinking that, well, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this over the course of time. And James would caution us, wouldn't he? He said, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. He said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, which is what we have to say, if the Lord wills. So in him, we have our being. We're, with, we're nothing apart from God. We can't breathe our next breath apart from him. We continue to be who we are, and we have breath, we have life because of his continual presence and keeping us. And because of these three things in him, we live and move and have our being, then we ought to be seeking him, right? And I'm so thankful for the scriptures that tell us when we seek him, we're going to find him. We're going to find him. Well, verse 26, Paul continued he said, wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul saying, I testify before you today, you're my witnesses, that I have not failed to share the truth. And when Paul says, I am pure or innocent of the blood of all men, is he being threatened or is he threatening in any way? No, absolutely not. Is he angry? No, what he's saying is, I've done what God has asked me to do. I have shared and declared to the people all the counsel of God. I've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, the matter of their souls is entirely between them and God. He shared them with the truth. And therefore, they were responsible for what they did with it. In fact, every single human being is responsible for that which we have been given and if a person has been exposed to Jesus Christ in the sharing of the gospel, they're accountable to it. 
And what Paul is saying is, he said, their blood, if, if they should choose not to receive Christ, if they should choose not to accept the gospel, he said, I've done what God has asked me to do, and their blood is not upon my head. Verse 24, he said, my life's aim is to testify the gospel, the grace of God. And in verse 27, and here's what I've done, I've shared the full counsel of God, all of it. He wasn't an editor of the scriptures. He shared the scriptures. And certainly when he, he talked about this, when he said, I'm pure from the blood of all men, he had something in mind. And I'm certain that he was looking back to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 3. And here's what the prophet said in verse 18. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, in order to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine, thine hand. In other words, we have a responsibility before God, family, we, to share the truth of God's word. We need to share with them about heaven, right? We need to share with them about hell. Not a most popular topic, but nonetheless, it's something we must share. We need to share the truth about Jesus Christ, who he is and why he came. We need to share uh, the 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 word of, about sin and the effects of sin, that sin has separated us from God. We need to share about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, about repentance and the need for it, and certainly about salvation. All these things we are responsible to share with others. Now, am I saying you need to do a brain dump on somebody the first time you see them? No, no. But share what you can, what God allows. He opens a door. You know, you meet with somebody. Who knows where? Who knows for how long? But they should sense something in you, sense the presence of Christ, the light of Christ, and be ready always to tell them about the hope that lies within you. That's what we're called to do. In family, Paul the Apostle took this very, very seriously, and we should too. So as he continues in this message to the Ephesian elders, he gives them a personal charge in two ways as we move on here. First, what they need to take heed to. And there's six of those things that they need to take heed to personally. We're going to start on that today. We won't finish it today. And then there's a final encouragement. There are two things as final encouragement he would share. That'll be in the, in the near future should the Lord tarry. Now, it's important for us to be reminded that Jesus is the head of the church at large. And he is also the head of every single individual church. He is the head of this church. And verse 28 tells us that he purchased the church with his own shed blood. And that's something we need to keep in mind. He bought it. He bought the body of Christ with his own shed blood. And therefore, we have a responsibility before God to honor him in what we do and how we conduct our services. If he, if he bought this church, then as our new quote-unquote owner, so to speak, we ought to bring honor and glory to him. And he's also determined that the church is to be led by leaders that he appoints. Paul's addressing leaders of the church here. God ordained leaders within the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 describes some of this. And here's what Paul wrote. He said, he gave some apostles some and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and here's the reason, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's saying the leaders must be raised up by God in obedience to his calling. And it's important for us to understand that Leaders fall under a stricter judgment before God than those that are not called to be leaders. This is something that's important to understand if a person desires and believes they are being called by God to lead in some way. It's something we have to keep in mind. James 3.1, he said, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. And he's giving a warning here. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. It speaks of what? a weight of responsibility that God is very close to in examining. And you see, one day, 
I will stand before and face a judgment before God that's more strict than those that have not been called. Am I afraid of that? Well, there certainly is a reverence on my part and a desire to do what he asks me to do. That's very, very important. I don't want to fall under his judgment. I don't want him to say, why didn't you? Why didn't you share the truth? Why did you skip over this in the word of God? Why did you offer your opinion rather than offering my truth? Why did you scratch out parts out of my precious and holy word that I esteem even greater than my own name? I don't want to hear those words. I want to do what God has asked me to do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, he said, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So there's a seriousness, isn't there? My desire, our desire for each of us ought to be that we please God in the things that we do, the way we conduct ourselves, the way that we share his word, the way we bring forth his love. I want to take a look at verse 28. Paul said, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now, who appoints? It's the Holy Ghost. Who the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And here, here's the charge, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He uses these two words, take heed, which means hold the mind toward He's saying, keep it right in the forefront, something that you won't forget. Apply your minds to it. And here Paul tells the elders who will soon be on their own what they can expect as they step into their new positions of added responsibility. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, your character. Character is important. Your manner of life. And with that, you know, leaders must nourish their own souls to be spiritually healthy enough to be of any help in leading people. All of us must have a closeness to God that we can hear his voice, even when it's a still small voice. We need to abide in Christ. You know, feeding on that that relationship that Jesus described as the relationship between the vine and the branches. A branch that's separated or partially separated, separated totally, is not getting fed, separated a little bit, maybe a little bit. We need to grasp onto the entirety of it. And the single most important thing is, for each of us, is to maintain a quiet time with God, which means time in prayer. Just me and God. And certainly corporate prayer, group prayer, prayer with my wife, it's so very important. But personal, intimate relationship with the Lord is so wonderfully important. You know, when Pastor Ann shared earlier, he said Mary chose the the better part, which is really the best part, isn't it? Spending the time with Jesus. And if if you've missed time with Jesus, you know it, don't you? When I miss time with Jesus, I know it, and my wife knows it. For sure. Why? Because there's an edge on me that God would choose to remove Something isn't quite right. So you and I, we all need to spend that time with Jesus. And you know, with all that takes place in our lives, listen, we're busy, right? But we can't be too busy. Our lives are complicated. So it's easy to lose track of this and remember that the first thing God has called us to is a relationship with him. That's primary, And everything else flows from that, personal relationships, the the ministry to which God calls us to. He said, take heed to yourselves. He shares this with the elders. He also wrote in his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he said, take heed unto thyself. Similar language, same meaning, yourself first, and unto the doctrine... Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. He's saying focus in on the word of God. Now it's interesting here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. To feed the church of God. Now, the interesting thing is this. It was written to the Ephesian elders. 
And it's a great encouragement. It's an important encouragement. But the question is, did they take heed? Well, we can fast forward to the book of the Revelation where Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. Keep in mind, he said, feed the church of God. And then in in Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus had a very clear view of what was taking place in the church at Ephesus, here's what he said in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He said, unto the angel or the pastor of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how they, you cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and had patience. And for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. These are all very good things. He's commending them for all these wonderful things that they did. But then, he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you have left didn't say lost, you have left your first love. Paul said, feed the flock to which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And here in Revelation, something was missing. They were out of sync. Priorities weren't correct. Other things became more important than the word of God in that personal time with Jesus. Service over relationship. Believe me, it's an easy trap to fall into. And for those of you that serve the Lord, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our service to the Lord becomes more important than relationship with him. And that's what happened at a church at Ephesus. Jesus said it. He said, I know your works. I I know all about that. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know all these things about you, but you've left your first love. That relationship's so incredibly important. Now, the second personal charge, he said, take heed yourselves first unto the flock. He's talking about them as under-shepherds. Leaders in the church, they must have a love for the sheep. They should like to be around people. I remember in my work days, you know, work hard, and I love my job, but I I don't like the people I work with, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'd have no problems if it wasn't for people, right? But that, you know, that's the way it is. But but you see, when when it comes to our service to the Lord, yes, in in the church, but elsewhere, If they can't sense and know that we love them and care about them, what are we doing? You know, Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you're just a clanging cymbal. You're just making a lot of noise. I don't want to be a noisemaker. We can't be noisemakers. You see, a shepherd that doesn't like to be around the sheep is no shepherd at all. That's the wrong heart. And a person could be incredibly talented, incredibly gifted, a wonderful speaker, but don't care for the people, guess what? It's not going to work. And if that part isn't right, that person hasn't been called by God to be a shepherd. Because God would not call someone to be a shepherd if they didn't care for the sheep. And one of the greatest needs of the sheep is that they be fed. Sheep need to be fed. That's why Paul said, feed the church of God. And you know, we can wrap ourselves in all kinds of different programs, and we're doing this, and we're doing this, and doing this at the sacrifice of feeding the sheep God's word. And guess what? Oh, it might build a bigger building, and more seats, and more chairs, and more chairs occupied, but you know what? There's going to be no growth. No growth in the Lord. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. He said, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Not to lord it over people. Listen, 
Listen, you're God's sheep. <laughs> not mine, not ours. You belong to God. And you know, we read in or sang in Psalm 23, he leads us to the green pastures and still waters. He leads us. If he's led you to this green pasture and this water, praise God. But it better be God that does the leading. And over the years, you know, we've been in ministry for quite a while now. We've seen people come and go. Some people haven't been called to be here. We get that. We've come to check it out. We've come to explore, whatever it might be. But my encouragement, just pray and see what God would have you to do. And on the other hand, there's people that leave and they get upset by the cup of coffee was too cold. Or, you know, the silly things, I suppose, may be very important at the time. But the key thing is that, yes, if a person moves on, then it better be God moving you. Amen. It better be. Otherwise, what happens? Nothing. Or don't go anywhere. Just stop coming altogether. That's, that's a sad thing. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he said, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And this is so incredibly important because we live in a time where many have departed from teaching the word, preaching the word of God, and rightly dividing the word of truth. So it's important that we understand what God is speaking to us through this passage. We need to make sure that we never depart from these truths. You know, looking back a few years, if you think back to the 1980s, a, a new quote-unquote brand of church began to evolve, largely from the efforts of a man named Peter Drucker, a business management consultant who was not a believer. But in spite of his unbelief, he got the attention of some very prominent names in modern-day Christianity, the likes of Rick Warren, Saddleback Church. The church grew incredibly. The seeker-friendly movement was a concept of finding out what a consumer would like in a church and then taking those likes and fashioning a church to meet those consumer needs. This isn't, this isn't a smorgasbord. We're here to honor God and share his word. They developed a seeker-friendly church model. And what resulted in it was a watered-down message apart from the conviction of God's Holy Spirit that would make the consumer comfortable. I just want you to be comfortable sitting in the chairs. I mean, not to be comforted with anything but the Word of God, to be heart-comforted. And, you know, sometimes when we share the Word of God and praise God, the Spirit of God speaks to our heart, Right? Because whom he loves, he chastens. And the, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sometimes God does surgery, doesn't he, so wonderfully. But he can't do the heart surgery that's needful if we don't share the word of God. Well, seeker-friendly church became a business venture. Became known for using business practices and customer satisfaction and consumer marketing and in doing so, focused primarily on increasing the numbers of people. It's a wonderful thing to have a full church. But I'd much rather people come because they want to hear from God. Amen. Not because my kids can play video games there. Well, as a result of that, resulted in a consumer church with little or no spiritual depth or power. And with, as with all trends, the seeker-friendly movement fizzled out. Praise God. But it was replaced by what we hear called the emerging church, the social distribution centers designed to bring about socially just society. And the goal would be to improve society regardless of whether doctrine they embraced, we're just going to do this regardless of what God's word says. And as a consequence, it made doctrine unnecessary in their eyes. Because now the church had a completely different focus that was neither given nor intended by God. And the idea would be to make society a better place to live. And in many cases, the reality is all that's being accomplished, it made the, the, it a better place to go to hell from. 
My favorite preacher, Adrian Rogers, said it's like rearranging the deck chairs on a Titanic. They still sank. It's so incredibly important that we stick to the word of God. We stick to what God has given us is most important. The true essence of the gospel is about an individual that recognizes his or her sinful condition. You know, before I came to Christ, yeah, I, think I knew I sinned, but it's not that big a deal. There's far worse than me. But then when I came to Christ, I realized even what I would consider to be the least of my sins, it would have damned me to hell apart from Christ. So it's a very, very serious thing. We need to recognize our sinful condition and confess it before a merciful and gracious God and then turn from it by repenting from that sin and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to make the necessary changes in us and establishing, therefore, an intimate relationship with God. That's what he wants. He wants intimacy with us, doesn't he? And the means that God chose for forgiveness was faith in Jesus Christ, whose death and burial and resurrection provided a way for sinners like us to be saved. That's the gospel that we're called by God to preach. The early church did so many things so well. Acts 2.42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It's like four pillars here. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, the word of God in doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread as in prayer and in prayers. Those four things, doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread, communion. We share communion here every Sunday, as you know. And, of course, developing a prayer life. The church is to do all of the above. But many have departed from the teaching and the preaching and the feeding of God's people. So we need to pray for those that are misleading God's people. Remember I mentioned earlier, I'm going to have to stand accountable before God. And my heart breaks for those that have said, well, I've got a different way. I'm not talking about technique or anything like that or speaking styles. No, no, no. I'm talking about a departure from the truth that doesn't acknowledge the need to repent, that won't acknowledge sin. To me, that is misleading people and bringing them to a horrible, horrible eternity. And unfortunately, there's a responsibility behind all of that. We need to take it very, very seriously. And the most frightening thing is that kind of thing, you know, this consumer mentality, it's attracting many young people and the unchurched that have never been taught the truth in this soft gospel, which is really, it, it's no gospel at all, has become their truth and their spiritual quicksand foundation. It's quicksand. It looks solid. You step in it and what happens? You sink. We need to stand upon the rock, the rock, Jesus Christ and the things that he shares with us. Paul charges Timothy and every pastor from that time on to be faithful to preach the word of God no matter what the cost and no matter what the hardship. You know, people may not appreciate what we share. They may not like what we share. They don't like the fact, some, that we call sin, sin. We, we define it as what God defines it. And there's a whole society that stacks up against that. But you know, Jesus is greater than that. He's greater than all of that. Listen again to what Paul says to Timothy, now including verse 1, to 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 2. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now, he could have said, I charge you to preach the word and end it there, but he didn't. 
He could have said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the word. But he didn't. He could have said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead, preach the word. But he didn't. He couldn't emphasize it enough. So he said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He said, there's a judgment coming, an urgency. There's a necessity, Paul is saying. Do we need to preach the word? Because God is, he'll judge the quick and the dead. I want to first ask a question. Paul commands in verse 2, preach the word. But the first question I want to ask is why? Why, why? why is he saying preach the word? Well, here's the reason why. Because... Jesus Christ shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He said, I charge thee earnestly. He said, Timothy, I exhort you, you must do this. Preach the word of God because everyone will one day stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. It's life and death important. It's a matter of life and death. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which has done, whether it be good or bad. It means you and I need to take our life here on earth seriously. And by that, I mean one day every one of us will stand before the living God and give account for our life. You see, the word of God tells us how we ought to live. In order to hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are from the lips of Jesus. Those are the words that I, I believe we all want to hear, don't we? But if we deny the truth about a salvation relationship with Jesus, we'll never hear those words. And there are people every single day of the year denying Jesus, saying no to Jesus, or some are just saying, not now. I'm not ready. Well, when we get further into the book of Acts, God willing, we're going to see another one like that. Just not ready. And he died. So preaching is necessary and essential because of the seriousness of our eternity. We're all called to preach the word. And there are many for sake of popularity and filling pews that aren't willing to do so. And you know, God had a harsh word for them. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2, he said, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. It's very, very serious, isn't it? He takes the preaching and the sharing of his word extremely seriously, God does. We're instructed to preach the word so that people's lives are cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and prepared for his kingdom and his return. You know, we just sang a song, Behold, I show you a mystery. Talking about the rapture of the church. And by the way, I didn't realize this until today that our brother Mike wrote that song. Praise God. It's a great great song talking about that God's coming back to bring his church home. Well, what are we to preach? The word of God. Again, verse 27. Feed the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. We're to preach the full counsel of God, not the Reader's Digest version. And you know, we've been open here since 2005. And I don't know when I'm going to go home to be with the Lord or he's coming back to get us, but we're not going to finish the whole book. Maybe if I live to be 150, I don't know, but and that's unlikely. But we do our best, you know, to, to go through the word of God systematically, book, book and chapter and verse in order to share the full counsel of God. I don't want to be responsible for picking and choosing. I'm going to go here today and then over here. I'll tell you why. Because if that was my heart, I'd pick the easy ones. 
We need to go through the whole council. We need to go through the text, and we're governed by the text as it relates to the Scriptures. We're not free. Family, we're not free to make up our own stuff out of a personal spin on the Scriptures. No. It's God we're to represent. And the text ought to be shared and explained so that the hearers, so that each of us, we can take something and we can apply it to our lives. You see, and in hearing, faith is built up, isn't it? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by, the, by my funny stories. No, 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 no. Hearing the word of God. You see, the scriptures make a man wise unto salvation. 2 Timothy 3, 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures also equip us for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished with all, unto all good works. The scriptures are profitable for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul charged the elders, feed the church of God. He charged Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Well, I want to touch on one more aspect of verse 16 in 2 Timothy 3. Paul said, all scripture is profitable for doctrine. I have heard, and I am not exaggerating in the least, I've heard a very prominent preacher on television say, I don't preach doctrine. I won't preach doctrine. Why? Because I don't want anybody to leave. I don't want to talk about sin. Because people get mad. We need to preach doctrine. What does it do? Well, doctrine teaches us what's right doesn't it? It teaches us what's right, what's correct, and God designed the scriptures that way in order that we would be instructed in what is right. So why would we want to be without it? We want to know what's right, don't we? Well, there's a warning in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. You know, Paul said to Timothy again, he said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't put up with it. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I think there's a trend in the world that's headed in that direction. Tell me what I want to hear rather than what I need to hear. Paul said the time will come. I believe the time has come, don't you? when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they won't put up with it. They won't want to hear about it. They'll have no interest in being reproved, rebuked, or exhorted with doctrine. So they'll, people look for alternatives that will satisfy desires to have their ears tickled, their senses tickled. Turn their ears from the truth and turn to fables, tales, myths, stories, amusement. And what they seek, they'll find. They shall heap to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears by telling them what they want to hear. I need to hear the word. We need to hear the word. We need to hear what God would speak to us. So we need to share it. And if we don't share the truth, it's so dangerous spiritually because lives are not being changed or won't be changed under the conviction of the Word of God or of the Holy Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit uses the Scriptures, uses the, the text that God has given us. He takes the Word, He couples it with His Holy Spirit power. He goes, He plants it right in our hearts. And you feel it sometimes, don't you? Ooh, yeah. God just spoke to me. He convicted me. He encouraged me, whatever it might be. He's directed me. That's what we need. You know, I don't particularly like kale. 
but it's probably good for me. It's healthy. And our flesh tends at times to resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it makes for healthy Christian lives when we submit to the conviction of sin. We may not like it particularly. No chastening is pleasant for the present time, but after it comes what? Peaceable fruit of righteousness. It does something. It might be a little ticklish at first. It might be a little painful at first, but then we can look back and say, thank you, Lord. You've just done something in this heart that needed to be changed. You saw it before I did. You showed me. You convicted me. You allowed me the privilege, and it's a privilege to come before the throne of God and confess that sin and turn from it. Because God is always there ready to forgive. That's grace, isn't it? His love never changes for you. The grace of God, how beautiful. So, what if folks will not endure sound doctrine? Should we change the message? God forbid. But many do. Should we repackage the word of God to make it a little bit more tasty? No. But many do. God's word stands sure. God's word will always stand on its own. God's word will always accomplish what he sends it forth to accomplish. Will we always see it? Of course not. But we trust it. Why? Because God says that's the case. So share his word. Share his word. Share his love. Well, if a... What are we to do if... Someone doesn't want to hear the truth. And I suspect that we've run across this, each of us, haven't we? What do we do? We, I think Patrick said, did you say pray? We pray. First, we pray. Second, we pray. Third, we continue to pray. And fourth, 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, but watch thou in all things Endure afflictions. In other words, don't give up. Endure the affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, tell others about Jesus and make full proof of thy ministry. What is thy ministry? It's whatever God has called you to do. Whether it's what he's called me to do, okay, that's fine. If he's called you to do something else, to serve in the kitchen, that's a ministry. If he's called you to take care of the kids, that's a ministry. If he's called you to mop the floors, that's a ministry. And he's saying, make full proof of it. But it's not just here. You all come from families, I presume? Large or small? Good or bad? That's a ministry opportunity for us, isn't it? So, What's our takeaway today? There's a bunch of things I want to just mention quickly here. First, understand the importance of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand the importance of intimacy with him. But it's not just understand the importance of it. We need to make a decision to spend that time with him. I need to make a decision to spend that time with him. Second, stay close to Jesus through the word of God. What better way? I mean, this is his love letter to us. What better way is there to become more acquainted with the God who loves you than to read his love letter every single day over and over and over again? Third, don't be deceived by what you see taking place around you. You know, we could look down the road and say, well, that church does things differently, there's more people, whatever it might be. And some of it's, I'm sure, Holy Spirit-led, driven, guided, grown, but there's some that aren't. Don't be deceived by what you see. What, you, what we need to do is simply be influenced by what you know to be true. What is true? It's the Word of God perfect and purposeful 
Word of God. It's perfect. And it's purposeful. I mean, it, it accomplishes something in us by God's design. Fourth, know why you and I are called to share. Well, it's because souls are at stake. And you and I, we hold a cure for spiritual death, don't we? Did you ever think of it that way? You hold the cure for spiritual death, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. Share the good news, the gospel. Paul the apostle said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, and he used the word it, it and it alone is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. We have this treasure in these earthen vessels. We have the gospel. We have the life of Christ in us. Paul saying, share it. Fifth, be sensitive to the times that we are in. I don't know about you, but I, I believe with all my heart we're living in the last days. Paul believed it back then 2,000 years ago. I believe it today too. We're, we're 2,000 years closer. But I do believe that it, we're, you know, things are railing up and around the whole world today. We see what's taking place in the Middle East with with Israel and the U.S. involvement and all these things. They're all pieces of the puzzle that God is, is bringing together that point to that glorious day when he calls his bride home. Could be today. I don't know. But I know that I need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to belong to Jesus. So with that, knowing that we're in the last days, there ought to be an urgency to, to share the good news with others. Pastor Ann shared a great message about a month or so ago. If you care, you'll share. Wasn't that the title of it, Ange? Yeah, if you care, you'll share. It's a great word. Sixth, check out everything you hear against the word of God. Check it out. And don't be afraid to check it out. Don't be afraid to challenge it. You're called to challenge it for your own growth so that you are best equipped to deliver the truth. You don't want to bring forth a false message that someone has passed on to you. Check it out. As Paul commended the Bereans, they checked out everything he said against the word of God. We need to do this. Deliver the truth. And sixth, you know, there's a lot of people that try to shoot holes in the Scriptures. Don't look for flaws in the Word of God because there aren't any, but any. You'd be wasting your time. Don't look for flaws, but purpose to look for beauty. And it's easy to find, isn't it? We open up the Word of God, what do we find? We find the beauty of Jesus Christ. We find the beauty of truth. We find the beauty of love. We find the beauty of grace and mercy, compassion. All these things, all these wonderful attributes of God we see in the Word of God. And last, be certain that you belong to Jesus. Know that you belong to Jesus. He wants you to know. And when I say no, I mean there's many people that think they belong to Jesus or hope that they belong to Jesus. But God doesn't want us to think we do. He doesn't want us to hope that we do. He wants us to know that we do. You know, John wrote this in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He said, I want, Jesus said, I want you to know without any doubt. And all of us, at some point in our life, we were uncertain of our salvation, right? I, I think you were uncertain. You didn't born certain you were going to heaven. Many times we try to justify our desire for heaven by our good works, but not a desire, an entitlement to heaven. There is no entitlement to heaven except by trusting in Jesus Christ and what he has done. I can't trust in myself. You can't trust in yourself. 
You know, it's like trying to lift yourself up off the ground. Can you do it? No, it's impossible. Someone needs to do it for you. You can't make it to heaven on your own. Someone has to make a way for you. And praise God that in his mercy and his grace, he provided a way for sinners like me, sinners like us, to be able to spend eternity face-to-face with the God who loves me and died for me. And he said, there's just one way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no man comes to my Father but through me. He said, no one. And you know, I'm thankful that there's one way because it's exceedingly clear. Because when God says there's one way, then there's no other way. And we know the, the path that God would direct us to in order to make our way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ as the way. And you know, and over the millennia, people have sought other ways. But if people try to find another way, they're going to ultimately be lost and find out, gee, I got a dead end. Jesus said it's a narrow path, isn't it? Why? Did he purposefully make it narrow? No. Anybody, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe. But he also knew that whosoever's would be limited in number. Not because he is limited in number, no, but because people would say no to him. I found another way. I found this way. I found this religion, that religion, and somehow trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in myself rather than in what God has done for me and on my behalf. There's one way. Jesus, I'm thankful that you're the way. So if there's anyone that even here this morning or perhaps listening later online is not assured of your salvation, then it's time to make that right. It's time to get it straight. And there's only one way to do that. That is to come to Jesus just as you are. I've heard people say, I'm too bad. No one would ever. Jesus would never want me. Well, open up your Bible and read it. He is willing that none perish and that all come to repentance. No one's sin is greater than Jesus' ability to forgive. No sin is greater than the power of his shed blood. All-powerful, all-cleansing blood of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Would you come to Christ today on his terms? If so, let's pray together, okay? Let's bow our heads and just pray. And I want want you to know, too, you're praying in accordance with God's will. So if you ask him, he's going to save you. So I come to you today, Father, and realize my sin is real. I realize that it's separated me from you. And I know because I have no relationship with you. I know you went to the cross and gave up your life freely for me. When your blood was shed, you did it for me to take away my sin. So Lord, I have a great request. And that is... Would you, by your mercy and by your grace, forgive me of my sin? And I believe that when I ask, it shall be done. Because your word says, you're willing that none perish and that all come to repentance. So I turn from my ways now and I turn to you fully and completely. I give my heart to you. I believe you are who you said you are, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind.
the one who died and was buried and rose again on the third day, just as the scriptures have said. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live a new life. I invite you into my heart right now. I ask, Lord, that you would help me. Help me. Help me to be the man of God or woman of God that you would desire me to be. And help me to tell others about you, about your goodness, about your love, about your willingness to forgive. And I pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.